Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Is it? All right. Sorry. It's, okay. There we go. Um, good morning. Thank you for having me uh, today. It's just really a privilege just to be here and um, just to sort of start like matching names and faces because my sister comes home and she's always talking about uh, this person or that person. And uh, she always comes home just talking about just the joy that it is for her to be at Cornerstone Church and uh, what a blessing it is for her. And so um, thank you guys uh, for your ministry to um, just this, this area, to my sister specifically. And I've just been blessed hearing about what God is uh, doing here in this ministry and um, just how the gospel is at work and, and lives are being changed. And so, um, so yeah, it's a huge blessing to be here, to be able to preach God's word uh, to you. Um, just a little bit about myself. Uh, right now, I'm currently a student at the Master's Seminary. And uh, I'm working towards uh, a master's of theology, in theology. And so um, I just finished my first year there. And hopefully I can uh, finish up the THM soon and uh, pursue uh, just further ministry where God leads. Um, I'm also currently at um, a church. It's called Cross Life Community Church. Uh, Not to be confused with the one, I think there's one in Orange County. Not to be confused with that one, but... Uh, this church plant is out in Sierra Madre, and um, I've been there now for about a year, serving with uh, youth to uh, the young adults, so a really wide range. Um, but it's, it's just my joy, it's been my joy to, to have been there, or to be there, uh, currently serving, and um, just serving the people there, and being blessed uh, by the ministry there at Cross Life. Um, so with that, let's, uh, why don't we just open in, in a word of prayer, And uh, we'll just jump right into the word of God. Um, Father, we uh, come to you this morning, and God, we're just so thankful uh, for your gospel and for the good news. Um, Thank you for your son, uh, who in humility came to this earth, uh, lived Uh, the perfect life, the sinless life that we could never live and died on that cross, uh, the death that we deserve. And so we just rejoice in good news this morning. We rejoice in Christ. We thank you that that you've forgiven us of our sins and washed us and that we're clean and uh, pure in your sight. And uh, this morning, Father, as your children, we want to hear from your word. And so help us Uh, Remove any distractions that might hinder us from humbly receiving your word and living your word. And so be with us, bless this time, grant us your spirit, give us insight into the word of God, and give glory and honor to to yourself. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, And so uh, this morning, the the topic that I was asked to speak on is um, evangelism. And I know you guys are going through your missions month right now, and you've had uh, different church planters and missionaries come in, and, um, and man, evangelism is just so central to the mission of the church. It is the mission of the church uh, to share the gospel for the glory of God uh, through the salvation of sinners, and uh, this is one truth that I uh, am, am constantly preaching to myself and, and preaching to my own heart, and um, I remember uh, back in my college days, um, when I was uh, just a little bit younger in, in my uh, belief, 
in Christ. I remember just having a, a very young and sort of a fiery passion for proclamation and, and for evangelism, and I still do, um, but I think back in the day, it was a little bit more unreserved and, and unrestrained. Um, and just one example, uh, I remember coming back uh, from college, I went to UCSD for my undergrad, and coming back from college, I think it was my freshman year um, in college, and I, I came home, and I was just thinking, man, I want to I just want to go out there and I just really want to preach the gospel. I just want to preach the people. I just want to share uh, the good news. And so I remember I was uh, going on my weekly or maybe daily run uh, through the neighborhood and uh, running through the neighborhood and I just felt very led. I just wanted to, I just wanted to share the gospel. I was like, you know, I just, I gotta, I gotta share. I gotta share this good news. Um, and so I remember seeing a, a lady, she was out, in her front yard, you know, doing her gardening, watering the plants. Um, I don't think she was mowing the lawn, but whatever she was doing, she was, you know, doing her gardening work. And I was like, all right, I'm just gonna, I just had to try to muster up courage. I, you know, this was maybe one of my first, like, um, I guess, door-to-door slash evangelizing to stranger moments. And so I was like, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna muster up the courage. And so I remember going up to her and, um, and just saying, excuse me, ma'am, uh, I want to share my faith with you. And it just sort of wasn't very eloquent at all, but I want to share my faith with you. And she looked up to me, and she gave me this look, and she said, oh, oh, lo siento, uh, no, no, no entiendo inglés, no hablo inglés. And I was like, man, like what? what do I do? And so I was like, all right, I took, I took Spanish in high school, you know, Spanish one, two, three, four, Spanish four AP. Um, all right, let me conjure up whatever I know. And so I just sort of conjured up, you know, uh, hola, you know, uh, Jesus, te ama, uh, and bye, or oh, adios, I don't know. I just, so I was just like, I'm out of here, you know, that's, that's it. And so that was one of my first experiences uh, just sharing the gospel and um, proclaiming the good news. And I remember that clearly. Uh, but I think looking back at maybe my younger days uh, of understanding, you know, what evangelism is and, and, and how to do evangelism, I think it was a very, uh, one, it was individual. I was doing it, you know, I was doing my own thing. And also, yeah, I think what I was lacking, what I didn't understand was how to show people um, how the gospel affected my life, right? And, and um, don't get me wrong, I, I believe that proclamation is important, right? Evangelism is proclamation, right? Evangelism is not just live your life and be an example of Christ and somehow you're evangelism, evangelizing. No, evangelism is proclamation. You have to preach the message of the good news. But I think at the same time, there is a great need in this world, there's a great need for the world to see the gospel lived in your life. There's a great need for the gospel to be lived out by the church. Um, while we proclaim the gospel, we need to be affected by the gospel. We need to live this and show this to the world that the gospel is real and that it affects our hearts and changes our lives. And, and so that's why I think when, when Paul talks about the obedience of the church, when he talks about the holiness of the church, um, the holiness of the church is something that's to be put on display for the world to see, 
And so Paul, at the end of his letter in, in Romans, Romans 16, verse 9, he says, uh, I rejoice that your obedience has been made known to all, to everyone. Um, similarly, he writes in 1 Thessalonians 1.8, he says, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, right? Proclamation, the word of the, the, word of the Lord has gone forth. It's been proclaimed. Um, but at the same time, he says, the faith of the Thessalonians has gone forth everywhere. The, people know of how the, the Thessalonians themselves were affected and changed by the gospel of Christ. And so it's vitally important that the world hears the good news of Christ, but also that they see this good news lived, um, that they see this good news uh, in real life and in the church. And so today what I want to do is uh, I just want to show you and and lay forth for you um, what it looks like for the church to live in a manner worthy of the gospel um, so that the church could be put on the display to the world, so that proclamation uh, can, can be accompanied by a lifestyle uh, of living the gospel. And so if you'll turn with me to Philippians 1, Philippians 1, and we're going to look at verses 27 uh, through 30. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. And uh, the book of Philippians is uh, really just, it's a book about the gospel through and through. It is about the gospel. It's about gospel proclamation and it's about gospel advancement. The gospel will advance because we have a powerful and mighty God. Um, and in Philippians 1, 27 through 30, um, these few verses uh, actually begin a crucial section in Paul's letter where he talks about obedience, and he talks about the obedience of the church. Um, this section uh, starts at chapter 1, verse 27, and it continues all the way to chapter 2, verse 18. Um, and here Paul is talking about the conduct of the church. He's talking about the holiness of the church. Um, but, uh, but again, it's, it's very important to note that Paul's concern with obedience is that this obedience is seen, that this obedience is visible, And so that's why he writes in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, uh, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation. And look what he says here. He says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so so obedience for the church, again, it's not just something that that we do here in this church building, but it's something that we live out in day-to-day life and that we let the world see. We, we put it on display. Uh, we shine as lights in this world. Um, so let's read, let's read uh, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. I'll read this for us. And this is the word of God. It says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, 
engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I have. And, and so Paul's concern here really is that, that the church needs to, to live out the gospel. The church must have a, a gospel way of life. Uh, he writes in verse 27, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And when he says, when he uses this word worthy, he's, uh, the word worthy simply means suitable or consistent to. And so to live your life in a way that's worthy of the gospel is to live your life in a way that's consistent to the gospel. Um, it means that how you live should reflect what you know and what you believe about this glorious truth that Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived and died for sinners, right, on their behalf. And so there should be a, a level of consistency uh, with what we know about the gospel, right? If you're a Christian and if you've confessed Christ as you, your Lord and Savior, then your life should reflect that. It should show it. Um, but what, what I really love about what Paul is stressing here and what he's focusing on here is he's focusing on uh, just ordinary life. Um, and, and, and so he, I like how ES, the ESV translates this here. Um, ESV says, only let your manner of life, right? Or in other words, your way of life, just how you live, let this manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Um, and this word is also used in Philippians 3.20 where Paul, he talks about citizenship, citizenship in heaven. But it's a word that just, it, it's just saying, live your life, be a citizen, conduct your life, do, do, do the ordinary, right? Go to work, sleep, eat, wake up, right? Go to school, learn, raise your, raise your kids, just ordinary life. That's what he's talking about, um, but even though it's ordinary life, he says, look, let it be worthy of the gospel, which means that there's something supernatural and out of the ordinary in our normal, routine, daily life. And, and really, this means, look, there, there needs to be, right, in our lives, a weightiness to all of life. Right, there's a weightiness to when you go to school, right, and in light of the gospel, this is, this, is, this is for God. This is for him. Right? In light of what Christ has done, how can I not live for God and for his glory, even through school or work or family or how, I, how, how you raise your children or, or how you conduct your relationships? Right? There's a, a weightiness. Right? When, when you sin against someone, how, how can I sin when Christ my Savior when he, when he died and he paid for my sin on that cross, right, there is a weightiness to all of life. And so we start each day and we end each day with this weightiness. My manner of life needs to be conducted in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And for Paul, this was, this was of central importance, right? The gospel needs to infiltrate every part of your life. And for Paul, this is, this is of the utmost value. He says only, this, this is... Above all, this is what you need to do, right? Conduct yourself, conduct your life in this way. And I think for Paul, it was a matter of sincerity. If you're not consistent to the gospel and your life is not consistent with what you know of the gospel, there's um, a, a level of insincerity when that comes about. And so he continues, he writes, verse 27, he says, live in this way so that whether I come and whether I see you, right, I might hear of you that you are 
living in this way. Right? You're conducting yourself in this way. Um, and so Paul's concern is sincerity here. Right? Sincerity, integrity. And I think this is, this is so important as we go out into this world and as we proclaim the gospel of God. Right? People need to see the gospel in real life. They need to see it in your life. They need to see how it affects you. Um, I remember uh, back in college too, um, oftentimes, you know, I would go to the dining halls, I would hang out, study, whatnot, and I remember uh, listening to a conversation just like right around the corner, and um, this one girl was uh, EVing or evangelizing to uh, one of the non-believers who was just there at the dining hall, and um, the, the conversation that she had was really striking uh, to me. And I remember um, the non-believer, he asked the question of, uh, he really wanted to know about how Christianity, how belief in God made sense of, of suffering and evil. And, um, you know, he wasn't trying to be like, he wasn't trying to start a debate. He wasn't trying to be stubborn in his, his beliefs. I think he just wanted a, a legitimate answer. And uh, I remember... Um, the girl's response to his question, um, she said to him, she said, all right, you know, I, uh, I think sometimes we just, have to, uh, we just have to go with what the Bible says, right? We just have to go with what the Bible says. The Bible says that they're suffering, and so we just have to go with what it says. And, and I remember thinking and um, just wanting to like, oh, I just sort of want to jump in there a little bit and, and I just want to, you know, I didn't want to just interrupt. But um, I think there's, there's truth in that, right? We, we believe in the word of God and the, the word of God is, is our authority. Um, but I think for, for this non-believer, right, while, while he sort of heard this truth, I think what he really wanted to, to understand is, is how does this, this make sense in life, right? How, how does this make sense for you, believer, um, there's suffering in this world, and even for you, as you suffer, how, how does the gospel make sense of this, right? How, how does that, how do you have hope in a, a world where God ordains suffering, right? And I think that was a legitimate question. Um, and, and so I think there's this true need. I, you know, I don't think that that girl was trying to be insincere or ungracious or dogmatic. I think you know, there's so much that goes into apologetics and evangelism and uh, answering questions like that. But I think there's a need for sincerity and, and uh, a visible display of, man, this is how the gospel affects my life. And this is the hope that I have because of Christ and this good news. Um, and I, uh, as a pastor, uh, I think there's a sense in, in which I... Um, Envy those of you who are not pastors uh, in terms of your, uh, the opportunities that you get to witness. Um, and I feel like as a pastor, people oftentimes think my life is insincere. You know, it's like, all right, you, you're, you're living a certain way and you read the Bible and you go to church and you love God. Oh, but you're a pastor. That's your job, right? That's your occupation. And there's always this like distance. Um, sometimes I'll be talking to people, you know, go, I go out to coffee shop, Starbucks, Clatch, or whatever, and um, be talking to the barista, and they'll say, you know, oh, so what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor, or I'm going to seminary, I want to be a pastor. And there's always this, like, 
awkward pause, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> um, how, you know, uh, it's just the conversation just sort of ends, and I don't know, I think there's just this, this distance, but um, man, it's so important uh, that we live our lives, conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, and that people see this. People need to see how the good news affects how you raise your kids, how you love your spouse, right? How you deal with conflict. People need to see, as you go to work, to your various workplaces, people need to see that the good news changes your work ethic. And it changes how you treat your boss when your boss is yelling at you and is ungracious to you. And people need to see that. And and they need to see the gospel in real life. They need to see the gospel illustrated in your life. And so, um, now what I want to do is just sort of lay out uh, just some ways in, in which the church uh, needs to live out or can live out the gospel. Um, and Paul's going to give us several ways in which we can do this. Uh, first, the church must stand firm in unity. That's just right there in the text. Um, he writes, uh, at the, the, for the rest of verse 27, um, he says, uh, so that whether I come and, and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. And we'll stop right there. Um, he says that you might stand firm in, in one spirit, one mind. And um, literally, he, he writes, stand firm in one spirit, one soul. And it's sort of this Repetition here, one spirit, one soul. Just stand firm, one spirit, one soul. And this language is it's just a very intimate language. Right? Paul's communicating closeness and, and intimacy here. Right? One soul, one spirit. The, the soul is often described, it's often used to talk about the innermost, the deepest part of a person. And, and so Paul, he's saying, look, the church is this one soul, one spirit entity. There's this closeness. Um, and this unity, and I just want to illustrate what this looks like. What does, it, what does it mean to be a church that's one soul and one in spirit? Uh, turn with me to Philippians 4, uh, verses 1 through 3. This is a little bit towards the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And he's encouraging them and he's giving sort of his final exhortations to the church. Uh, But Philippians 4, um, verse 1, and I'll read this for us. And he says, in verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And look what he says in verse 2. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Synthache to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And I think it's striking how important unity is to Paul. Um, this, the book of Philippians, right, is an open letter to the church. And so they would read this publicly to the church. And um, this is just, this is radical for me, right? That, Paul, Paul is writing this letter, and in the middle of his letter, or near the end of his letter, he writes, and he says, I entreat, I beseech, 
I beg these two women to be reconciled. There's discord and there's disunity. I want them to be reconciled. And I mean, this is radical. If you could just imagine um, me as a pastor coming up here to the pulpit and maybe knowing about some type of discord or conflict or drama and just calling you out, right? And just saying, hey, you, um, my family's here, so mom, dad, like, you guys are arguing, right? And that's unacceptable. I mean, this is, this is bold. This is radical. But um, it's because Paul sees unity as so central to living a life that's worthy of the gospel. Um, but what he writes here is he says, um, I entreat these two women. I, I want them to agree in the Lord. Literally, he says, I, I want them to think. I want them to think in the Lord, to think in Christ. It's the same word he uses in Philippians 2, verse 5, when he says, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have an in Christ mindset. That's unity. Have an in Christ mindset. We're not going to get through Philippians uh, all of Philippians 2, um, you could sort of turn back there, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, which describes this in Christ mindset. How, how, how did Christ think? What was his attitude as he humbled himself and came to this earth? And Paul says that Christ, he gave up his rights, right? He gave up his prerogative as the son of God and he came to this earth and he became a man and he didn't think about himself. He wasn't thinking about his own interests when he came to this world. And most of all, Christ, right, the servant of God, the son of God, he came to this world in obedience to his father. Right? Jesus, or God said, God the Father said, Jesus, I have a plan. I'm going to send you into the world to die for sinners, to love them, to care for them, even when they're going to slander you and mock you and ridicule you. And I have this plan. I'm going to send you into the world. And Jesus, the obedient son, this is his mindset. Father, yes, Father. I'll obey. I'll go. I'll die. I'll take up that cross. And so when we have an in Christ mindset and when we're one as a body of Christ, right, this mindset, it's like Christ, right? We give up our rights we think not of ourselves. And most of all, imagine a church that says, man, in, you know, when I have conflict with a brother and sister, I'm, I'm thinking not just about myself and my own interests, but I'm thinking first and foremost, I'm a child of the Father. And I want to please him. I want to please him as hard as it is to forgive this person. I'm a child of my Father and I want to please him. And so I'm going to give preference to this brother or sister. And that's what this unity looks like and Paul, I just want to stress, Paul is stressing here. He says, stand firm in this unity, right? right? Don't, don't let anything come in the way of this unity that you have as a body of Christ. Don't budge, right? Stand firm, it's this military term. Um, it's, it, it talks about a soldier, right? Standing his post, don't budge. Don't, what, the enemy's coming and he's bringing like his full arsenal and he's attacking, but don't budge. Stand firm, and so I just want to exhort you as a church um, to stand firm in unity. And uh, just personally, my greatest regret as uh, just a Christian and a man, my greatest regrets are those relationships where 
I sort of did a, had a maybe half-hearted reconciliation. Is that right? I forgive you. But I, those relationships, there's some relationships where I never like took that full effort to fully restore unity with a brother or sister. Right? Those are some of my greatest regrets. Um, and, uh, but I, I think also on the same page, some of my greatest joys uh, have come from fighting hard, right, to be reconciled and, and to be, right, to, to say, hey, look, your brother, your sister in Christ, right, we have to be on the same page. I know we've had our differences. I know we've had our, our difficulties, but man, let's, let's, get, let's get this right. Let's be unified. Let's be one in Christ. And those are my greatest joys. And I look back now and I see these brothers or sisters and I'm like, hey, and I, I greet them and it's not awkward and it's like I can talk to them and, um, and that magnifies the worth and beauty of the gospel. And so church, stand firm in unity. Uh, stand firm in unity. And Paul's gonna go on and he explains, he explains also how a one way in which um, unity uh, one way in, in which we can produce this unity. And so he writes in verse 27, um, he says, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so as a church, the church must strive for the faith, contend for the faith. Um, he says, well, he uses this word strive, right? Strive side by side. And the word here. Um, is soon athleo, and I'm just saying the Greek because you could hear the word athlete, right? Athleo, soon athleo, right? With this athlete idea. Um, so strive, work hard. Uh, Paul uses this word in 2 Timothy 2.5 where he compares the task of the preacher to an athlete. He also uses it later in Philippians 4.3 to talk about those who have labored side by side with him, those who have worked hard with him. And so there's this idea here of um, partnership and hard work. These things sort of go side by side, partnership and hard work. Um, and if you do any type of, of training or uh, physical exercise, um, you'll know that if you want to work hard uh, to train your body right, in the way that you want, um, partnership is very valuable. Uh, and for me, I, I know personally, I, for me to accomplish any of my training goals, uh, I have to have a partner, right? I have to have someone with me. Um, one of my housemates that I'm living with right now, um, he's, really, he's really disciplined, he's good with, he wakes up at like 6 a.m., 7 a.m. in the morning, goes to the gym, works out five days a week, all of this stuff. And, um, and so he tries to get me to go, and sometimes I will, but you know, I'll wake up at six, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to the gym this morning. But, but there's something about partnership that, that helps us to work and, and to work hard and to endure and to persevere. And so this idea takes place, it should take place within the church as we partner for the gospel and for the work of ministry, for the faith of the gospel, as we witness to this world. Um, we need partners we need ministry partners. We need people to help us when we're discouraged, uh, when we're preaching and there's no results and there's no fruit. We need people with us. And um, one of the great blessings that I've had uh, being at Cross Life Community Church is uh, I've, I've found just so many gospel partners, uh, so many people who are 
uh, working side by side with me for ministry and for the proclamation of the gospel. Um, I remember when I first came, I was, um, you know, preaching to one of the non-believers who was coming out to our church on a regular basis, and I was sharing the gospel with him, and a, a few weeks of just being at the church, uh, one of the brothers, he called me up, and he said, Justin, let's trade notes. Um, you know, wh- what have you found out about this guy? What do you know about this guy? He's an atheist, all right? He hates God, he, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he doesn't believe in creation. He thinks that's bogus. All right, let's go get him, right? I got this YouTube video right here. Let's go send this to him. Um, let's pray for him this week specifically, right? Let's, let's go get him. Let's team up. And so and that's been such an encouragement to me to have this partnership in the gospel, to strive with this brother for faith. And that is necessary um, as this church lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. And I think what happens, um, and this is, I love what Paul says here, what happens as you make the gospel and gospel proclamation your main goal, what happens is you become more unified. Um, you become more one-spirited and one-souled together. Um, you get closer, you get more tight-knit. And this is Paul's point all throughout uh, Philippians. And I love how he describes how partnership in the gospel creates unity and camaraderie and this family type of relationship. Um, he talks about the Philippians. He says that they're partners, but he speaks a, a, about them not just as business partners, right? They're not just business partners, but they're family. He has this affection and this joy. Uh, I just love what he says about Timothy. I mean, just listen to this. This is Philippians 2.22. And he says here, you know Timothy's proven worth. And look at what he says. Look how he describes this ministry partner. He says, as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel, right? Paul's ministry partner, Timothy, right, was like his son. Right? We're serving side by side like father and son for this cause, for the glory of God, right, and for the advancement of his kingdom and this good news. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, just partner up, right? Find a ministry partner today. Partner with your family, right, with your kids and, and with your spouse. Um, partner with people, and I'm so glad that you guys are going through uh, just having this missions month where you can orient the church around this goal of, man, we're here to shine as a light to the world. That's so important that you have this singular agenda and focus. You're striving for the faith and for the gospel. Um, and it's too easy for the church oftentimes and, and for us as, as church members to have our own agenda. And we come to church and we think it should be a certain way, and we have certain needs of our own heart um, that we want to see happen in the church, and we come with our own agenda, but it's so important that we gather around this singular agenda, and that we gather and we focus, um, and we partner together for the work of ministry. Um, And Paul moves on, and, and he writes also that the church must not only strive for the faith of the gospel, but the church must also be bold in suffering. Uh, The church must be bold in the midst of suffering. And he writes in verse 28, um, he says, um, 
and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Um, and right here, Paul's exhortation is, don't be afraid. Don't be frightened, right? When suffering comes, when opposition to gospel work comes, don't be frightened, don't be afraid. And uh, I think this is uh, just the normal tendency that we have, right? When we are suffering, when we are in trial, um, it's so easy to start doubting, right? It's so easy to have fear or anxiety. It's so easy to feel helpless and alone, right? We see problems happening. We see difficulties. Maybe you're dealing with someone, you're, you're try, trying to counsel them, and you don't have the answers, and it's like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do. I feel so helpless here. And when suffering comes, there's doubt and worry. But Paul, he says here, don't, don't be frightened. Right? Don't be terrified. Uh, don't be afraid. Uh, be bold in the midst of suffering. Um, but why is this? Right? Why is this? Why, why can we have such boldness and fearlessness when the church is, is suffering? And um, I think Paul, he gives the answer in verse 29. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And the idea here is that we shouldn't be afraid of suffering um, because suffering, suffering is a gift. Right? Suffering is a gift from God. Trial is a gift from God. And Paul, he says, right, suffering has been granted to you. Um, he says, charizomai, and you can sort of hear the word charis, grace. It's been graced to you, right? right? Suffering's been graced to you. This is a blessing that God's given. This is a, a joy that God wants you to experience and, and partake of, um, and so suffering is a gift. Um, and I think uh, what Paul's trying to say is, is suffering is a gift. It is a grace because when we suffer, when the church suffers and endures trial or persecution, um, this is how, this is the means by which the church advances the gospel. Right? Sometimes we think of suffering and we're like, all right, let's just, we got to get through suffering. Let's just get through it. Just persevere and get through it. But for, in Paul's mind, and as he's writing this here and encouraging these believers to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, he is saying suffering is not something we just get through, but it is the means, the God-ordained means by which the gospel goes forth and is proclaimed and magnified. And um, I get this here from the text. I get this from what he says in verse 30. He says uh, that while... Philippians, while you suffer, you are engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and um, now hear that I still have, right? And, and when he writes here, when he says um, that you're engaged in this same conflict, he's not saying you're suffering the same things that I suffer. He's not saying that. He's not saying, because they were obviously suffering different things, right? Paul was imprisoned and the Philippians weren't imprisoned. But what Paul is saying, when he uses this word, when he says conflict, what he's talking about here is he's talking about the fight of faith. 
He uses this word all throughout his epistles, uh, 2 Timothy 4.7. He talks about how at the end, at, near the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight of faith. Right? I fought the good fight. I've endured. I fought the good fight of ministry. Um, he says the same thing in his encouragement to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, where he commands Timothy. He says, continue, fight on the good fight of faith. And so this is interesting. He's saying, look, as you suffer, you are engaging in spiritual warfare. As you suffer, church, Philippians, as you suffer, you are actually advancing the gospel. This is the work of ministry. This is how God, right, allows the gospel to go forth. Um, and so th- this is a very profound and amazing truth, right? In the midst of trial, right, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of the difficulties that God brings to you, um, he is using this to make known his great name and to magnify the good news. Right? And th- doesn't this make sense, right? It's in suffering when we suffer and we're bold in suffering and we're not afraid and we say to people, wow, I'm suffering, but this is for Christ and I have a good God and I have this hope and because of the good news, I can rejoice. Um, when the world sees that, they're like, man, they, it's, hard to, it's hard for non-believers to see that and to want to debate you. When you say, man, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my sickness or my disease, um, in the midst of my difficulty, I rejoice in Jesus and I know that he's good and this is for his sake and for his glory and so I'll endure it and I won't be afraid. And so, when, church, when you um, endure and when you are bold in the midst of suffering and you live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, there is this, um, you will shine brightly for this world that, the, the proclamation of the gospel will have power and effect. Um, and so I want to encourage you uh, to cherish um, the gift of suffering when it comes. Um, it's so easy for us, right, when, when suffering comes to start complaining or grumbling or arguing. Um, but when we cherish it, right, God is glorified. God is magnified. And so... Um, Church, it's so important that our evangelism is accompanied by our life, a life where we are affected and challenged by the gospel. Um, and world, the world needs to see that, right? The non-believers that you talk to and that you're evangelizing to, they need to see uh, the gospel in your life. They need to see how it's real for you in your life. Um, they need to see you, church, in unity as one, Right? They need to see you uh, partnering together for the faith of the gospel. They need to see you finding joy in suffering. Um, and and the, reason, the reason why, the reason why uh, today we can live in this way, in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel, um, where we can live in unity uh, and where we can suffer with joy, um, it is because of the good news. It is because of Christ and what he's done. It is because Christ, the God of worth, died for worthless sinners. Um, and it's because of what he's done for us and in our place. And, and so at this time, what we want to do is um, we just want to celebrate the good news. Um, 
and we want to celebrate the gospel, and we want to celebrate uh, what Christ has done on our behalf by coming and dying in our place. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together um, as a church. And so um, what I want you guys to do is in light of what God has revealed to us, right, take this time, uh, take this time just to reflect, uh, to really reflect on the cost, um, the cost of Christ's sacrifice. Um, reflect during this time um, of the value and the worth of the death of Christ on behalf of sinners. Um, think deeply about how Christ, the great Son of God, how he shed his precious blood for you on the cross. Um, on the cross, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, right? Who knew no sin, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so um, reflect on that, think about that, take time uh, being able to confess your sins uh, before God, uh, confess the things that you've done, um, how you sinned and rebelled against him, and delight in the good news. And so we're going to have the worship team come up, um, and they're going to lead us in song just to, to reflect as the ushers pass around the elements. Um, take this time to reflect.